We have been in a message series here on Sunday mornings, tracing one of the earliest recorded Christian missionary journeys in Acts chapters 13 and 14. I'll have to admit this morning that as a child growing up in church, my view of missions and missionaries was, well, boring. I'm a little ashamed to to admit that this morning, but I didn't have a very excited view of missions and evangelism. It was just one of those things that didn't sound like a whole lot of fun. Because my mental picture of missionaries were those super serious, super spiritual Christians who would set aside everything, in fact, sell everything, give up everything in order to go and to to live in another place where people speak another language and where they don't know anybody. But yet they would make every effort to get to know those people in order to tell them about God. And then every so often, those missionaries would get to come back home to the U.S. and they would tell us here about those people that they had told about God. In my mind, I had separated missionaries from ordinary Christians. But the biblical view is that all of us who follow Christ are called to be missionaries. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. To be a Christian is to be a missionary. To be a follower of Jesus is to be a missionary of Jesus. And that wasn't the only thing that I had failed to recognize about missions and and mission efforts. Because the reality is, missions and evangelism are about as far from boring as you can get. To share the greatest message in history. The story of God dying for us so that we could experience forgiveness and salvation in Him is exciting. It is thrilling. It is eye-opening. And it is unpredictable. But it isn't always easy. In fact, it's rarely easy, but it is rewarding. And as we look back at this particular journey in Acts chapter 13 and 14 this morning, we'll see that what happened next on this journey in Acts chapter 14 was far from predictable, far from boring, and far from routine. In fact, it was no doubt an encounter that these two missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, never forgot. So I want to invite you this morning to look with me at Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 8 as we pick up the story where we left off last week. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. 
Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Cross-cultural evangelism presents challenges requiring intentionality. Cross-cultural evangelism presents challenges requiring intentionality. Now Paul and Barnabas had already been several places on this particular journey. In fact, they had already been to the island of Cyprus. They'd already been to Poseidon, Antioch and proclaimed the gospel there. And Most recently, they had been in Iconium and proclaimed the gospel there. But in this particular spot, in Lystra, something very different happened from these other places. In fact, look back at Acts chapter 13 briefly with me as we trace one main difference between what took place in Lystra and what took place in these other cities. Acts chapter 13, verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, now this is the the city that they arrived in on the island of Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Skip down to verse 14. They've gone on to Perga. From Perga, they went on to Poseidon Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. We know from the rest of that story that that they were then given the opportunity to share some truth. And Paul stood up and he preached the gospel in the Jewish synagogue. Chapter 14, verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Now we get to Lystra, verse 8 of chapter 14. And we hear nothing about a Jewish synagogue. Up until this time, it had been their practice to to go into a city and to find the Jewish synagogue or the place of worship 
and to look for an opportunity to share the truth, to look for an opportunity to share the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And they had been given that opportunity time and time again, although people had certainly responded to it differently. And now they get to Lystra. No mention of a synagogue, probably implying that there weren't many Jews in Lystra. And so rather than having the opportunity to go to, to people who, who already claim to believe the Old Testament Scriptures, who already claim to worship the God of Scripture, now they were starting from scratch. They had to go with, with a different strategy. And as we read this particular passage in light of the context of this journey, you sort of get the sense that they had to go with plan B. They weren't able to go to, to those that they knew were hungry for the truth, those that already claimed to believe the God that they did. Instead, they were going to pagans who could care less about the God that they worshipped. Now, how many of you have left here on a Sunday morning and have gone down the hill, and turned left at the stop sign on Meadowbrook Road and gone out to 280 and turned left at the traffic signal on 280 and gone about a mile and a half down the road, feeling pretty good because you know that on this particular Sunday, everybody in your family is going to be happy about the lunch option because you are going to Chick-fil-A. And by the way, for families, Chick-fil-A is it's pretty hard to beat. You get real chicken, not that spongy stuff, and it's fresh, and you get excellent customer service, and it's cheap, and there's even a place for the kids to play in the playroom. But you get there on this Sunday, and you look around, and no one else is there. And you suddenly remember that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. And now you've got to go with plan B, and you don't have a plan B. <laughs> now, Paul and Barnabas weren't going to, to places where people were hungry for a spicy chicken sandwich, but they were going for places that they knew people were hungry to worship the God of Scripture, where they had a natural connecting point, a natural place to, to share the truth of Scripture. And now all of a sudden, they, they face a new challenge. No synagogue, no natural starting point, and they've got to look for a new strategy, a different way to share the truth. This is a challenge that Cross-cultural evangelism often presents. And even so, we see that God is working in these circumstances because in verses 8 and 9, we we're told three times that this man was crippled. He was crippled. He was lame from birth, and he never walked. You think the author of this book wanted us to miss the fact that this guy had a disability? And in, in some explanation of circumstances, Paul encounters this man. And we're not, we are given a lot of details in this passage, but we're not told how or why he began speaking, where he was. But we are told that he began speaking, and, and this particular crippled man was listening to Paul as he was speaking. Because God was at work. There may not have been a Jewish synagogue. There may not have been a natural starting point for spreading the gospel, but, but God was already at work ensuring that, that these faithful missionaries had a chance to proclaim his message, had a, a chance to present his message, and he was preparing hearts to hear his message. 
Because the God that calls us and the God that commissions us as His messengers, as His missionaries, as His agents in this world, works before and beyond our efforts. The God of Scripture works before and beyond our efforts to share His message. And it just so happened that there was this crippled man there that was listening to what Paul had to say. And it just so happened that he had, he had faith in the one that Paul was talking about. And it just so happened that the Spirit of God led Paul to, to heal this man based on his faith in the God of Scripture. God was at work ensuring that as a result of these missionaries' faithful and willing efforts to spread the truth, that there was a ripe opportunity for them to share and present the truth. And the same thing is true for us, church. As we seek to be faithful messengers of the gospel, as we seek to to look for opportunities to share the truth because God is faithful and because He works before and beyond our efforts. He is at work ensuring that we have opportunities if we're listening, if we're paying attention to share the truth. And He is already at work in the lives of people in this city and across the world so that they will be prepared to hear the truth. And as you can imagine, these people in Lystra, although... They didn't know the God of Scripture. Perhaps they had never even heard of Yahweh. But they knew that when a lame man, a crippled man who had been crippled from birth could suddenly walk, that this was not normal. And so through the the efforts of Paul and Barnabas, these men had won a hearing in Lystra to present the gospel. But notice what happens next in verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. People are looking for someone or something to worship. People are looking for someone or something to worship. In this particular encounter, these these people of Lystra were amazed at this miracle that had taken place. And the result was that they wanted to worship these men as gods, recognizing that they were gods that had come down in human forms. They were a religious people. We're told in the text that they had a priest of Zeus and They were prepared to make sacrifices to their gods. And in general, people of the world are religious. People are looking for someone or something to worship. And even those that that say they're not, something or someone has taken center stage in their lives. Something or someone has become an idol of their worship. Most often when When we think about telling others the truth of the gospel, many of us get a bit nervous, get a little scared. We don't want to mess it up. We think of something that's preachy or or planned. But more often than not, the gospel takes root through relational evangelism. 
through building relationships with people and then presenting the gospel to them. People want to to worship the true God. And it's as simple as as striking up conversation with someone and say, tell me about the God that you worship. Do you worship anyone or anything? What, What is he like? Do you mind if I tell you about the God that I worship? Church, people are are looking for someone or something to worship. So as the church, as the people of God, let's, let's make sure that we're telling them about the only one who is worthy of worship, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of Scripture, the one who is deserving of all praise and adoration, the one who is worthy of our worship. Our task isn't to to confirm what they believe as if it's okay, if it's not. Our task isn't even to be the hero presenting the truth. Our task is simply to point others to God. Our task is to point others to God. And we see an example of that right here in this passage. Verse 14 and following. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, men, Why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. These messengers of God, Paul and Barnabas, recognized that they weren't God. In fact, they were no better than recipients of their message. They were simply messengers that were called to point others to the goodness and the greatness of God. And that is our task, church, to point others to God. We're not to win them over with convincing speech. We're not businessmen and businesswomen that are trying to sell something. We're simply called to to spread the message, invited to participate as messengers in spreading the truth about God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, as has been displayed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our task is to point others to God. We stated earlier that Cross-cultural evangelism and missions presents unique challenges requiring intentionality. And we see another example of this in verses 15 through 17 in how these men presented the truth. Because the strategy that they used in Poseidon Antioch was no longer effective here. There they went to the Jewish synagogue and they were invited to speak and Paul stood up and he began proclaiming from the scriptures how God had been faithful through his promises to Abram by ultimately giving of himself, his son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrificial death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And now he finds himself speaking with people that that don't care anything about Abraham. People that don't know Abraham. And so he changes his evangelism strategy and he begins by telling them that this God is the creator. Look at verse 15, about halfway through. He says, we are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness By giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons, he provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. This was the one that had created them, 
This was the one that had created all people. One who was the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And he was also the one who provided for them in their needs. He was the one who has shown kindness by giving rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He was the one who provides for us by filling our hearts with joy. And even though they did not know this God, even though these men and women in Lystra did not know the true God, He was still their creator. And He was still their provider. He was still their sustainer. And so it's on those grounds that, that Paul presents the gospel to them. He changes his strategy, telling them to turn away from these false gods, these these dead gods, these dead idols, and to turn to the living God, the creator, the provider, and ultimately the redeemer through Christ. And this truth should be the same for us as we seek to present the gospel, as we seek to engage in missions and evangelism. We often adjust our strategy based on who we're sharing with, do we not? The message stays the same. The gospel is is timeless. But the way in which we present it would be different, most likely, if if we're presenting to an atheist or to a Muslim. If we're presenting to, to someone who has simply misunderstood the Bible or to someone who has no interest in the Bible. We adjust our strategy based on who we're sharing with as long as we are faithful to the truth because the gospel is for all people. God is the God of the nations. All people, no matter where they're born, no matter what they've heard, no matter their family background or any other background, need to hear the truth of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. All people need to hear that message. And our task is is to carry that message to them, trusting that God goes before us and and to be faithful in our response to that message, sharing it with all people, regardless of background, regardless of challenges, regardless of circumstances, but being faithful to the God of Scripture. And all will respond to that message, as we've seen. The gospel is, is like sushi. You either love it or you hate it. And not everybody will respond favorably. In fact, many will hate the message and even go so far as to hate the messengers. And we see an example of that right here in Lystra as well. Look at the last three verses of our passage for this morning. Verses 18 through 20. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. As I read this this part of this passage, I could not help but ask the question, what in the world happened between verses 18 and 19? One moment, the crowds are, are worshiping these men. The next moment, they have been persuaded to kill them. This is sort of like what took place with our Savior, is it not? Jesus enters 
Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds are worshiping him, welcoming him with palm branches and less than a week later they've been persuaded to kill him. Because some who are adamantly opposed to the message of salvation by grace, faith in Jesus Christ, went so far as to persuade the crowds like they did with Jesus to turn their backs on Paul and Barnabas. And these came from miles away, from Iconium and from Antioch, so opposed to this message that they made every attempt, every effort to make sure that no one else responded to this message. And they'd already threatened to stone these men. And and this time around, we see that they did stone Paul. They stoned Paul and drug him out of the city so brutally beaten that people thought he was dead. And he wasn't acting. This wasn't like linebacker number 43 last night in the Arkansas versus Auburn game. Now you faithful Auburn fans, you know I don't have anything else good to say about that game. But clearly the language here in, in Acts chapter 14 is that these These men, Paul in particular, was brutally beaten. He was stoned and dragged out of the city, left for dead. But even though they had encountered serious opposition to the gospel, we can't overlook verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Now this man, Paul, who had been beaten, stoned, left for dead, had together with his companion Barnabas, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God, established a church in Lystra. Notice what it says in verse 20. The disciples gathered around him. What disciples? We're not told much about any disciples here in Lystra, but but some had no doubt responded to the message and believed in Christ. And as a result of their efforts, even despite opposition, a church had been established there. A nucleus of believers. And we learn in Acts chapter 16 verse 1 that a young man named Timothy was from Lystra. Disciple in Lystra. And many of you know that Timothy went on to be a faithful follower of Jesus. A young pastor and joined with Paul on his next missionary journey. So Paul and Barnabas may have have died sharing the gospel there. But as a result, there were some that that were dead in their sins, lost without a Savior, who had become alive in Christ. And who would and are experiencing eternal life in the presence of the Savior. And church, that is worth dying for. That is worth giving our lives for. The reward of faithfulness to God is worth the opposition we will encounter in this world. 
And we will encounter opposition as we seek to be faithful in spreading the gospel. But faithfulness to God and His calling and His commission is worth any opposition that we may encounter in this world. Christ encountered opposition. He told His followers that they would too encounter opposition. Paul and Barnabas encountered opposition as they sought to spread the message. Christian missionaries across the world today are encountering opposition as they seek to be faithful messengers of the gospel. And we will encounter opposition, but, but faithfulness to God and the joy that comes along with faithfulness to Him and the possibility of others responding to His truth makes any sacrifice worth the effort. And at the conclusion of, of that day and that encounter in Lystra, Paul and Barnabas didn't hang it up and return home to Antioch and Syria. They didn't throw a white flag and head back in the direction they came from. They didn't decide that the challenges and sacrifice made it not worthwhile. Instead, what does the text say in verse 20? It says, the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby." They continued on their mission. And we're told in the very next verse, verse 21, that they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. They continued on their mission. Because faithfulness to God and His calling and His commission was worth any opposition that they may encounter in this world. Church, based off the experience of these two men, in Lystra, we learned today that although there are numerous challenges associated with spreading the gospel among all people, faithfulness to God's call is the only worthwhile option. There are numerous challenges associated with spreading the gospel of God among all people, but faithfulness to God's call is the only worthwhile option. Nothing else satisfies Nothing else is worth the effort or the struggle that may be involved except faithfulness and obedience to God's call and the possibility that others may respond to the truth of God's gospel for the first time makes any effort, any struggle, any opposition, any sacrifice that we make in the process completely, fully, and totally worthwhile. So church, let's recognize that as we seek to to grow in our intentional evangelism and mission efforts, that we will encounter opposition, that we will encounter struggles, that we will encounter discomforts. But the joy of serving the God of Scripture, the joy of faithfulness to the God of Scripture makes those sacrifices worthwhile. Because the reality is all of us have been called to spread the message. We may not all be called to go on a missionary journey. Some of us have been. And I dare say that others will be if we're listening. But we're all called to be missionaries day in and day out, wherever we are, where we work and where we live and where we go and where we live, where we go about our lives from day to day, seeking opportunities to share the truth of God's gospel with all the world so that they may have the opportunity to hear the truth and respond to the truth. So let's trust in Him. Let's trust in the One who has called us and commissions us. Knowing that He has 
and is and will continue to call people out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to, to gather as your people in your name, to, to sing praises to you, to fellowship with your people, to look at your word. Lord, I pray that that your word, that your truth would be ever on our minds and in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm us as a church and as your people with the grace that you have shown us by saving us through Christ. Lord, I pray that that grace then would compel us to, to go out of this place and to proclaim your message, to proclaim your truth with confidence, with boldness, with joy. And with love. Trusting the results to you. Oh, we thank you that your presence is with us. Not only in this place. But we thank you that your presence goes with us. As we leave this place. And Lord I pray that you would continue to. To lead us this morning as we seek to gather. And to worship you corporately together. May you be honored in us. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.